episode two of But You Don't Look Sick. If you are new around here, my name is Kelsey. Hopefully you start with episode one. (laughs) But episode two, I want to talk about meeting with your oncologist and kind of the prep you go through before you start chemo. Episode one, we went through my initial diagnosis, meeting with your breast surgeon and those kinds of things. But today I kind of want to talk about what it's like to meet with your oncologist, the things that you can maybe prepare for before chemo, because honestly, nothing can prepare you for chemo. Nothing in the world. You could read every book, you could watch every movie, you could listen to every podcast, but nothing fully prepares you because everybody is different. Everybody's body is going to react to chemo differently and everyone's diagnosis is different. I can give you what happened to me, I can give you my full account, but honestly, it's different. It's just different for every person. So meeting with your oncologist, I met with my oncologist a week before I started chemo um, with my nurse navigator to kind of give me the rundown about what I was about to embark on and things I should have at home. um, Just kind of like the initial this is chemo. Of course, your oncologist is going to give you the medical jargon. He is going to say everything under the sun. He's going to use medical terms. He's going to use terms you don't even know. You're going to have to look at him and say, can we, I need you to dumb this down. We need to, we need to bring this to a kindergarten level of this is chemotherapy. I feel so fortunate Because when I sat down with my oncologist, I had my nurse navigator with me who she has just been everything to me. She has gone through a cancer diagnosis herself. In my initial um, education on chemotherapy, I found out that my oncologist had gone through a cancer diagnosis. Having those two people in that room, in that moment, and they are years outside of their initial diagnosis, I just felt like, I got this. Like, I I can do this. So tell me what needs to be done. Um, you're going to sit down and you're going to get all of the medical information thrown at you. And you kind of have to just absorb it in that moment and then ask all of the questions that you possibly can. But the thing is, is you won't have any questions at first because you do not know what's coming. The first thing you're going to ask is, am I going to lose my hair? I was on the drug regimen of TCHP. You're going to lose your hair. Um, and I did. I, I also just, I was so concerned about my kids because at that time, my kids were two, four, six, and eight. So I ha- I don't even think I had told them yet because honestly, when you first get diagnosed, or at least in my situation, I didn't look sick. Therefore, I mean the podcast name, but you don't look sick. That comes much later too. But I didn't look sick. For anybody walking around, they would never know I was going through a cancer diagnosis. They, If I didn't tell you, obviously you would not, you wouldn't think that this young mom of four has breast cancer. I was still going to soccer practice. I was still going to the pool. I was still doing all of these things. I was also coming home and, you know, trying to line up childcare. And we were trying to figure out my husband's schedule for chemotherapy. I was trying to prepare my family because none of my family lives near me. So I was trying to 
prepare them for what it was going to look like going through chemo, how they could come out and help if they could come out and help, because you don't, you can't have your whole family there at the same time, or at least I couldn't. Um, Chemo is so overwhelming. You do not know how you're going to feel. So it's good to line up help, obviously. Um, And I was so fortunate that my husband, that Chris was able to kind of work his schedule um, so that he could take me to my first chemo and sit with me. My first chemo was, I mean, roughly five or six hours I was sitting there because that's your first initial one. They need to monitor you and see if you have any immediate reactions to the drugs. But before all that, um, you know, I sat down with my oncologist and he told me everything that I was going to embark on. He told me, he gave me a list of medications that I needed to have at home, like Benadryl, Imodium. If I can't, if I can just stress one thing you need to have at home, it would be Imodium, or at least for me, because TCHP, they're going to tell you right away, is going to give you diarrhea. And I mean, you think of diarrhea as like, oh yeah, I've had diarrhea before. No, you've never had diarrhea like this in your life. Um... Also, you know, they're just going to stress the importance of keeping hydrated. And when you're sitting there in that initial, you know, appointment, you're thinking, yeah, I can drink water. No, drinking water is so different when you're doing chemotherapy. So they went through that rundown. Then after we went through everything medical, he looked at me, my oncologist, he looked at me and said, the biggest advice I can give you is that if you can stay positive and if you cannot allow yourself to go to that dark place, you will get through this. He said, but if you allow yourself to go into that dark place, it's going to take you 10 times longer to come out of it. He said, your body is going to have to work 10 times harder mentally to get you out of a dark place than physically through chemo. When I heard that, I took that to heart. I I didn't know that those words would impact me so much because when you go through chemo, and I might even just get emotional thinking about it, but when you go through chemo, it is so hard to stay positive when you physically feel your body giving out. I mean, it's just you feel like you can't fight it. But if I can tell you anything, those words stuck with me. And those words are the only things that got me through six rounds of TCHP and that continually today get me through Herceptin and all of the other side effects that I have to all of the other drugs that I'm on. Because it's so easy to get negative and it's so easy to sit there and say, oh, poor me, or why me, or I can't believe this happened to me, or I really have shit luck. You are, there's curable and there's treatable. Yes, you are going to, I mean, for all intensive purposes, you'll be cured of cancer, but you don't, your percentage doesn't go back down to zero. So, you know, you really have to just think, this is, a, I have to mentally overcome this and you will be in such a better place if you can just initially think, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm not going to let this get me down. So after that, 
getting all of that and definitely talking to my oncologist, I got a tour of the infusion center where I was going to be every three weeks for the next year. That was the saddest place I've ever walked into. I was also the youngest person in that room. And I just thought, you know, how, how am I going to stay positive this whole time in this room? I mean, now, granted, it's a very beautiful room. The room I'm sitting in, nice recliners, all, you know, private little cubicles, stained glass, little windows. I mean, it's a beautiful room full of people trying to stay alive. And it's a, it's a, it can be a depressing place. So I really just tried to remind myself every day that this, like, this is how hard I have to fight. So after, you know, getting the tour and everything like that, that might have been on a Tuesday. On Friday, I was getting my port placed. And the following Monday, I was going to start chemo. So I got my port placed. Um, That was pretty easy. It's definitely weird to all of a sudden have this little robotic device in your chest. Um, After I got my port placed, that's when I felt like I needed to tell my kids um, I didn't want to tell them because at up until this point, you know, they, there was nothing that they really needed to know. I wasn't physically changing. So they, they're not going to be able to put two and two together. They're just so young. And as long as I put on a happy face and a strong, brave face, they're going to think everything is fine. And so that's kind of what we did. We told them about my port. I showed it to them. My, my six-year-old he he put me in a category of Iron Man at that point. Like, mom, you have you have a device in your chest like Iron Man. So right then and there, I mean, I I have superhero status. I have I have big shoes to live up to, and damn it, I'm gonna live up to them. So I said, yes, of course, I'm like Iron Man. And you know, we told them that like Iron Man, that that you know that. That device in his chest kept him alive. This little piece in my chest is going to help keep me alive. That's where I'm going to get my medicine and all that kind of stuff. And so they just thought, okay, this is like the coolest thing ever. My six-year-old then said that we should name my port, which I said, of course. I mean, who doesn't name a port? So he named it Lexi. No idea why. I Still to this day, we have no idea why. But he came up with Lexi. It is a girl. Her name is Lexi. On some days, she could be sexy Lexi. It just depends, if, you know, what mood she's in. So my port was placed. That was a pretty easy part. And then the following Monday, I went in for TCHP. I showed up bright and early in the morning. I had a full head of hair. I had a smile on my face. I was ready to tackle this. I sat down in the chair. They accessed my port for the first time, which I was like, oh, they, I mean, they, they don't even hesitate. They just jam that thing right in there, which you get so used to it that it's easier than the finger prick. So they put that in and they immediately, um, you know, start to get things going. They're drawing labs. They're doing all these other things. They're flushing your port, which when you get that metallic taste in your mouth, you kind of never forget it. So They did all of that and then they come in with loads of paperwork. I mean, there's just tons and tons of paperwork that I'm signing and trying to read through. But at the same time, they gave me a syringe full of Benadryl. 
Never in my life have I taken Benadryl. I should also say before my cancer diagnosis, I probably took no drugs. I, the last time I probably took an antibiotic, I had to have been in high school. Um, never took Tylenol, just never did any of that type of stuff. I had four unmedicated childbirths, um, just nothing. So I had never just felt the effects of anything crazy in my body. They gave me that Benadryl and I immediately, the room started spinning. I was like, whoa. And automatically, you know, my husband was sitting there. He's like, are you okay? What's going on? And the nurse said, we just gave her some Benadryl. And uh, I said, oh my gosh. I said, I can't sign anything. I can't even read anything right now. I don't even know what is happening. And she said, well, you're a cheap date. I said, you have no idea. So that that got it going right then and there. That just kind of set the precedent <laughs> that I was just, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. While we were sitting there, I will never forget that there were two guys in the cubicles next to me. And they're not like completely closed off. They're just open little cubicles. And one guy is a veteran, as he put it, to chemotherapy. The other guy, this was his second time getting it. One of the men was diagnosed with brain cancer, the other with lung cancer. They were sitting there and as Chris and I were eavesdropping, well, I mean, they were talking pretty loud, so I guess we weren't eavesdropping. The one guy said, man, how do you feel, you know, before chemo? And the guy with lung cancer said, oh, the, the days before I come in, I feel great. He said, and I feel my best the day of chemo. He said, that's when I go out and party at night. He said, because I know a couple days later, I'm just going to be knocked out. It's going to be so bad. He said, so the day of is my party day. And we were cracking up thinking, what is this man talking about? Little did I know that that was actually going to be true. The other guy that had brain cancer, he said, he said, yeah, that's how I feel. Like today's my best day. Today I feel like I need to go out with all my drinking buddies. And we're sitting there in this infusion center like, what are these guys talking about? Partying and drinking and all of this other stuff. No, let me tell you, it comes to fruition. That is the way that it is. So I was there for the whole day. I watched them come in and get their um, treatment and leave. And I was still sitting there until 4.30 and finally got to go home. And I did. I felt great. There were I had no side effects at that point. Um, you know, the Benadryl had worn off. I didn't really sleep that much during my treatment as everybody told me just to sleep. But I was just so anxious Um, my mom was actually in town watching my kids. So that made me a little less anxious as far as my children went, but I was still just, I just wanted to be aware of everything that was going on around me. So I didn't really sleep. And Chris and I just talked the whole time and it wasn't even a scary thing. Still at that moment, cancer hadn't set in. I was still kind of like, you know, cause I looked like me. I still felt like me. So we were just going about the motions. Then um, I came home and I remember because of the steroid, now I'd never been on a steroid before either, I was just wired. I was so awake and I was so hungry. All I wanted was a blue cheese bacon, (laughs) a bacon burger and some fries. I I don't recommend that everyone eats that on their first day of chemo, but I mean, whatever you got to do. So I just ate and the next day I still kind of felt okay. I started to feel a little bit run down, just really, really tired. Um, But still, I was like, okay, you know, I got up. I still took the kids to school in the morning. 
helped get everybody dressed. We had, um, we had soccer practice, you know, that night or on Tuesday nights. And so that next day I kind of just went through all the motions. It wasn't until Thursday. So I got my infusion on a Monday, Thursday, I was done. I picked my kids up from school. Chris was still working like a pretty hectic schedule at this point. And I picked my kids up from school, got them home. And I just thought there's no way I can go to soccer. I went to soccer practice and I felt so nauseous. I text Chris and said, you know, is there any way you can leave a little early and just meet us at the soccer field? I don't know if I'm if I'm going to make it. Um, not like I'm going to die. Just like I don't know if I can wrangle the two girls and then watch the two boys play soccer. Like there's just and nobody knew I had cancer at this point. I hadn't told one single soul at the soccer field because I had only moved to Savannah a couple weeks before I found my own lump. So truly, I knew no one here. I and I didn't really feel comfortable telling anybody, just random strangers at the soccer field, like, hey, can you watch my kids till my husband gets here? Because chemo's making me feel a little nauseous. Um, so I just waited it out. I sat as far away from people as I could and waited for Chris to show up. He got there probably 30 minutes before soccer ended. And I just said, I got to go. I came home and I slept for a very long time. Um but then, you know, I just felt more tired and more run down and and it didn't even it doesn't even matter at that moment how much you can will your body to do something. Your body is done. And you just have to listen to that. Do not push yourself any harder and that is a lesson I had to learn was to just give in and rest and lay down and that's the best thing that you can do. I mean, get up and do things like the one thing my doctor told me to do was if you can every day, just get out and go on a 15 minute walk. And he said, it doesn't even matter how long or how far you go. Just try and get up, get out of the house. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that that was something that got me through chemo and surgeries and recoveries was just, even if I just got up and walked to the porch and back, just doing that made me feel a little bit more accomplished. And so I would try and get up and go walk even just around our cul-de-sac or anything I could do. Um, But, and then that diarrhea sets in. And once that comes in, I mean, it's just, you just don't know what to do. And it, I mean, it's not like it's timed. You don't even know it's coming. You're just kind of, you could be anywhere at any time and you're like, oh, no, gotta go. Me, that was very hard because I'm not a public restroom person. Like I will avoid public restrooms at all costs, but cancer was like, you better get real comfortable real fast. So I didn't want to leave my house because I just felt like I don't know where I'm going to be when it hits. So I tried to stay home a lot. You should stay home anyway because your white blood count is going to be low, um, but I really didn't want to miss out on kid things. So I tried to do as much as I could. But resting is probably the best thing that you can do. Mouth sores also came in real fast for me. And they would line my tongue, the sides of my mouth, and all the way down my throat. So eating was excruciating. Um, I My first initial um, chemo treatment, the three weeks, I lost 10 pounds till my next treatment. I just... I could not eat. Um, it hurts so bad. And the, the mouth sores, they're open. 
and it doesn't matter what you do. Now, your doctor can give you magical mouthwash, as they called it for me, that numbs your entire mouth for like a good, I don't know, 90 seconds. So you can try and eat as much as you possibly can <laughs> when you get that. The other thing that really helps is biotin. Um, I think I I rinsed my mouth with biotin like 20 times a day. It just kind of keeps everything moist and coats your mouth and but I mean, they're there. The drug is inside you. So the mouth sores just come. Not everybody gets mouth sores is what I'm told as well. But I definitely did. The other thing that happened right away was my hands and my feet started to peel. All of the skin on my hands and feet just started to peel off. Um, it's like I was just shedding and my hands, they were just so tight and they hurt so bad from all of that. So I was just constantly moisturizing, constantly trying to keep them clean. I wore gloves, um, just anything I could. And here's the thing. No one told me about those side effects. They stressed the diarrhea. So I was like, okay, let me focus on the diarrhea. Let me focus on just taking my Imodium when I'm supposed to take it. And then that is how we're going to get through this. No, I got a rash from head to toe. Um, that was also the first thing was, I was like, so you're telling me I got chemo, but then I have to walk around with this horrible rash. Well, I mean, it turns out that I had an allergic reaction to Herceptin, which I've had that reaction now for almost an entire year. The same reaction comes every time I get Herceptin. So, I mean, we didn't know until after I got through the six rounds that I, all of these other things. I need to be put on an antibiotic so that I could get through Herceptin. But in that time, you don't know. There's four different drugs that you're on and you can't really pinpoint which one is giving you which reaction. So we just kind of went through it. I was on steroids, whatever we could to get through it. Um, round one, you just learn a lot. I mean, <laughs> it, but it wasn't awful. I can say that round one wasn't awful. I did, however, lose my hair on week two, which was really soon to lose your hair. Um, everyone told me I'd probably get through round two and maybe even two round three before I'd have to shave my head. But I only made it to the second week. I had to shave my head before my second round of chemo because it was just coming. It was just done. It was coming out in handfuls. I couldn't even touch my hair without just clumps coming out. And I was so afraid to lose it all before I would have a chance to donate it that I just kept it in a really loose bun. But what kind of tipped it off was my son came home from school one day and he said, mom, I think it might be time to shave your head. And I said, why, why would you say that? And he said, because I found hair in my lunchbox today. And automatically I was crushed. I said, oh my, oh my gosh. I, you know, like, I'm so sorry. He doesn't know how to explain that. I mean, a clump of hair in your lunchbox, come on. So I said, okay, we're going to shave it. We're going to shave it tonight. That is when, that's when I had to fess up and tell my kids. Um, they knew bits and pieces. We had, we had kind of talked about it, but we, because there was no physical transformation yet, they were not grasping any of it. So we sat down and I told them, um, tonight I have to shave my head. And they had no idea what that meant. They, you know, said why. And I said, because, you know, it's going to fall out. The medicine, the medicine makes my hair fall out, but it also makes me better. So we have to keep doing the medicine. Um, 
And, you know, they said, okay, the only one that could, that could remotely wrap his head around it was my oldest, um, Ace, you know, was eight or seven. No, he was eight at the time. And he, he was scared. He was the only one that could think, okay, my mom's going to have no hair. And I remember sitting in the bathroom um, and I said, do you guys, you know, do you guys want to help? Do you guys want to help me shave my head? And then, and then you know that it's not so scary that dad's not just doing this. Um, we'll all have a part in it. And Pierce, my six-year-old said, of course, of course I want to shave your head. Like this sounds fantastic. My girls were still so little. I feel like that they just kind of would have done whatever the big kids wanted to do. And Ace, he was not so sure about it. Um, he was really apprehensive, but we had to do it. Chris, on the other hand, he was exceptionally excited, which thinking back, well, I'm not even, well, I don't understand why he was so excited, but I think, I think he was just ready to get it over with as well. I think we all needed to get this step over with in order to accept it and to actually feel like, okay, this is the diagnosis. Like, like she has breast cancer. I think for me as well, I needed to feel like this is the moment where I feel like I have breast cancer. I have to own up to it. Um, so let's do it. So we sat down in the bathroom and we shaved my head. Um, my kids initially got upset. Um, they, they had only known me with very long hair. And so they didn't know. They thought that this was maybe going to change me as a person. So they were really scared they each came in as brave as they possibly could be and they each shaved a pass of my head. Um, and they gave me hugs and kisses and I was not upset when it all happened. I was, see, I mean, secretly I had always wanted to shave my head, but I just never had the balls to do it. Cancer gives you a massive amount of balls. So I was kind of excited to just shave it off. I felt like this is going to be so liberating and, you know, we just, we have to do it anyway. We might as well just face the music. And so we shaved it off and the kids got through it and they were so brave to jump in there and shave a little piece for themselves. Um, and we got through it and it was over and done with. And I felt like after that, we all just had to own it. But my eight-year-old, um, he came up to me and gave me a hug and said, I just, I'm afraid for you to go out because I don't want people to make fun of you. And that is when, that's when it hit me that, you know, this is going to affect them more than I had initially thought that it would, that he's grasping more, more than I thought that he would. And so we had to sit down and we really had to talk about what the next year was going to look like and how exactly we were going to get through this as a family and how we were going to fight this and how I was going to be okay. And it didn't matter how scary it looked at times, but that all of this was so that we killed the cancer. And he accepted that as best as he possibly could. But I felt so bad that in all of that, he was more concerned about you know, people making fun of me than anything else. And I mean, that just, that just speaks to how innocent kids are and how, you know, they, they don't grasp the really bad things in the world. They, they can only, 
they can only grasp what they can grasp. And that's when I also decided that I would never wear a wig because I didn't want to confuse my children. They had, they have now seen the scary part. And so I wanted them to see how it would get better and not, you know, how on some days I wear a wig and, and that's how I would go out in public. But at home I took off the wig and that's how I was at home. I wanted them to see just consistently what it looked like. Um, and, and for me too, I didn't, now wearing a wig, every, that is such a personal choice and it's about just your comfort level and also, you know, your environment. I was a stay at home mom, so I was able to be in my house for most of the time and then go out. But I mean, there are so many patients that work through chemo. And so wearing a wig is just such a personal choice. I would never tell anybody whether or not to do it. For me, it was, I, I needed to own it a hundred percent all the time. I didn't want to look at myself with hair some days and with hair without hair the next. So I just consistently said no wig. Also, my head just hurt. Like my hair follicles just hurt. My head was itchy at some times. It was tender. Even when I would try and wear a scarf or a hat, um, it just hurt so bad that I couldn't put anything on my head. So I just was like, I am rocking this Mr. Clean bald head. And I'll just wait for my hair to come back. And that is exactly what I did. I know that's not for everyone. But for me, I just felt like that helped me own it. Every single day, it helped me push just a little bit harder. But it also helped start the conversation for so many people. Because when I showed up that Thursday at the soccer game, just two days before, I had a full head of hair. And then I showed up and people were coming up to me saying, oh my gosh, I love your look. I love, I mean, wow, so bold, all these things. And I said, no, I have breast cancer. And it immediately made them stop. It made them think and it made them go, what are you talking about? And some people say some crazy things like, well, just all of the things that you hear. Oh my gosh, but you're so young. Um, oh my gosh, but you're so pretty as if your looks have any type of bearing on a cancer diagnosis. That's ridiculous. And it just made me think as well that how naive I was to cancer before I got diagnosed. And I just kept thinking, you know what, if I can educate people on this, if I can change people's perspective, if I can just make one person go home and feel their breast because, you know, they think that they're too young or they've been told that they don't get a mammogram until they're well into their 40s. Well, no, this is something that you should be thinking about and that you should be aware of, you know, much before you're 40. So I just, that was when I thought, I'm going to share this. I'm going to share it on social media. I'm going to share it on my blog. Before then, I didn't want to say anything to anyone. Um, But then the reaction from people that I got just about, about cancer, I thought this needs to be talked about. This needs to be shared. And I feel so alone that I can only imagine how other young fighters and thrivers and survivors feel. And so I'm going to talk about it. And that's when I decided to share it on social media. I mean, it was one thing to share it with my family. It's another thing to have to look at your children and share it with them. But then to try and then to share it with 
you know, thousands of strangers, I felt like I felt so vulnerable, but I also felt so empowered um, when I started to meet other young survivors who had gone through it. And that's another thing you, you have to find your support system. Um, and it is a, it does feel incredibly alone when you're going through it. You feel like there's just nobody that's going to understand it because as much as you're husband or wife or mom or dad or sister or brother or best friend tries to understand what you're going through unless they've gone through it themselves it's very hard to talk about with them because you do find yourself saying you just don't understand so if you're starting to go through chemo or if you've been diagnosed find people on social media I know that sounds so weird but Find women who have gone through it, who have your same diagnosis, but look at their lives. I remember seeing one girl that I started to follow and she was in the middle of chemo, but she was traveling and she was doing all of these things. And I thought this, she has not let this stop her. And that was my motivation. I never wanted to use cancer as an excuse. Um, I never wanted it to stop me. I only wanted it to fuel me and... That's what it started to do. 